Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello everyone and welcome along to episode 129 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and yep, this is one of those special in case of emergency smash glass hair moments uh, because we are bringing you a special bonus edition of the show this week reacting to the announcement uh, by Greg Dyke of the FA Commission's four-point plan to boost the future of English football. David Cameron Walker, hello. Hello. He is alongside me. And can I just say, you know this is an important issue when David Cameron Walker is prepared to give up his Friday night to sit in and talk about it. Because those Jaeger bombs don't drink themselves, do they? <laughs> I usually refute such scurrilous allegations, but I, I, leg- I suppose my somewhat underpar performance in last week's <laughs> podcast would suggest otherwise. You don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, for anyone wanting any playoff analysis, by the way, you're going to have to wait for the next regular show, which is going to be out on Wednesday uh, this week. This special is going to be entirely dedicated to discussing and debating the impact of these uh, proposed changes and obviously in particular the implementation of this so-called League 3. So before we get going and speak to a whole range of guests, just for the benefit of those of you who've been in a coma or whatever for the past 48 hours, let me lay out and explain uh, the FA Commission's proposals again. Settle in, folks. We've got some popcorn over there. You're going to need it. Here we go. Uh, Alongside a reform of the work permit system, a reduction in non-homegrown players in the Premier League and a so-called strategic loan partnership between clubs in the Premier League and Football League. More on that later. The Commission have identified that there are inadequate and insufficient playing opportunities for 18 to 20-year-old elite players at top clubs. So therefore, their solution is already adopted in certain other European countries is to allow the top clubs to enter B-sides into the football pyramid and in this case into a new tier within the Football League called League 3, which would accommodate 10 Premier League B teams and 10 conference teams beginning in 2016-17. Under these recommendations, 20 of the 25 players in the B-team squad would have to qualify for the home grown rule and 19 of them would have to be under the age of 21 these B teams could be promoted and they could be relegated that's between leagues 1, 2 and 3 in the conference but they couldn't play in the championship they must always be at least one division below their full side and they can't enter the league or FA Cup the Football League have said the report does not contain a solution that is acceptable at the current time but their chair Greg Clark was actually on the commission uh, it's clear that Greg Dyke and co think money will talk though and I quote now, uh, now from uh, page 71 of the report in the last six years, 12 Football League clubs have gone into administration and others have found themselves in serious financial distress. We propose that in return for agreeing to this reorganisation, there should be a significant financial settlement from the Premier League to the clubs in the lower divisions of the Football League. So in other words, a bribe. Uh, coming up later, we're going to be joined by, we're really, really pleased to say, the Brentford manager, Mark Warburton, who's going to be on, and the chief executive of Luton Town, Gary Sweet. Both men have just clinched promotion. Plus... 
Rob Langham from the Two Unfortunates will join us later. And in just a minute, Jeff Peters, presenter of Talk Sports Football League show Up the League and friend of the show Ian Dancer as well, another Talk Sport presenter. Uh, Dancers at Wembley for the unveiling of the commission by Greg Dyke, Danny Mills and Howard Wilkinson on Thursday. Uh, but before anything else, DC, I think I want to start with these two points. And uh, you know do me. Do have a rest? I know. <laughs> you know me. I'm not a, I'm not a particularly uh, kind of over-the-top football fan. I consider myself quite sensible. Hmm. I don't often get too angry about these things. But if this turns into a bit of a rant, please feel free to cut across and stop yeah. me. Um, and I think, please agree with me on this. Before we start, we both want the England national football team to be successful. Absolutely. That, there is no doubt about that. Uh, nothing would give me more pleasure than being in the middle of Trafalgar Square when yes. England won the World Cup. Some of my happiest memories as a football fan have been watching England in major tournaments. You know, win, lose or draw, heartache, despair, glory, triumph, no matter what it is. I've enjoyed it and I will hopefully continue to do so for a long time to come. Maybe not in this World Cup, but we'll see. Mm. Um, so nothing will give me more pleasure. And actually, I think if you look during the World Cup at the flags that are in the grounds where England are playing, a lot of them will bear yeah. the names of lower league football teams. Because if you support a Premier League team or a Champions League team, you can go around Europe, go around the world following your team. If you don't, if you support a Berry or a Grimsby Town or a Scunthorpe or a Lincoln, that is your Champions League to go and follow England around the world. So that's my first point. So we want that to happen and a lot of lower league fans, you know, support England and want them to do well. However, when I heard the news of this on Thursday, I was very angry. I was fuming. I was kind of incandescent with rage. And this proposal, I think, is one of the most disrespectful things to the Football League I've ever read. And and non-league, in fact. Well, well. absolutely. I mean, even more so in a way. Um, The assumption that the Premier... Sorry, I've I've given myself some notes here for this little run. The assumption that the Football League and Football League clubs are there just to serve the big Premier League clubs, I think, is outrageous. And I think it shows utter contempt for lower league clubs, their fans, and the, the role that these clubs have in their communities. And I think that they would chuck kind of all the tradition and history of this under the nearest bus, 125 years of it, And to top it all off, the chair of this commission used to be the chairman of a lower league club. There's no actual evidence that this is going to have any benefit to England whatsoever. And thirdly, this hasn't come from the Premier League. It's come from the FA, who are meant to protect lower league clubs. Yeah, I I completely agree with everything you've just said. And I I, I come at it from a similar point of view as you do I think it's very easy when these sort of things are announced you know these sort of some harebrained schemes that you hear sometimes from the Premier League about the 39th game and all that or these things from the FA the EPPP it's very easy in this day and age particularly ever more so with Twitter and the like to immediately jump on your soapbox get on your high horse and claim outrage and say that this is a disgrace and that the game's gone down the pan and you could be, you know, some people will, the, the people that back this report may accuse people like us and Football League fans of, of doing that in the last two days. But if you look at the criticism, as we will go into in depth with, with some guests and, and, and comments on this show, you know, they're not people who are just making knee-jerk no. responses. They're very considered. I think almost to a man, every person I've heard um, condemn this report pretty much said there is a lot of good valuable, important work that's been done by this commission that is in that 80-page report. No one's saying that all of this is bad. No. no one's saying that it should all be chucked out you know, and dismissed out of hand. But 
what they are doing is asking fans of the football league clubs, asking football league clubs, non-league clubs, to put the needs of the nation before themselves. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. You can have a successful England team and a thriving football league and non-league pyramid. It's perhaps difficult and ever more difficult to make that happen, but this is definitely not the way to do it. I think we are both for progress. Always have been, always will be. I'm not someone who's a stick in the mud because I don't like change. I always like change. But on this issue... I'm not prepared to accept change, I don't think. So we'll talk about this in a minute. Now, this morning you spoke to um, a friend of the show, Ian Danter. Yes. Dance, who uh, is Talk Sports England uh, correspondent, England reporter, is going to be so in Brazil for the World mm-hmm. Cup. So he was down at Wembley on Thursday when Greg Dyke, Danny Mills and Howard Wilkinson presented uh, the reports or the findings of this report, this commission, uh, to the media. Um, so uh, DC spoke to Dance earlier about it. Uh, Dance, so as somebody who was... At Wembley for the unveiling of this report, saw Greg Dyke deliver his speech and and Roy Hodgson and Danny Mills and the panel there and also someone that will have read the report, picked through the bones of it. Do you think the widespread criticism that the findings have received are justified? Yes, when you look at the one option of introducing uh, Premier League B teams into a notional fifth tier of English football, that has overshadowed everything else, David. It's overshadowed the other... um, proposals that they put forward in this 80-odd page report. It's also overshadowed the fact that they haven't even addressed the issues of grassroots football and kids coaching, which they're set to do in the autumn with the second uh, statement and second report that will come out after the World Cup and once we're into the next season. But unfortunately, this uh, however well-intentioned idea of, of getting B teams better exposure and getting uh, young elite players uh, more competitive football has clearly, in the eyes of the public and the response that's come on social media and on, uh, on phone-ins like on, on talk sports, it's completely backfired. And if you look at some of the reaction just initially to to the findings yesterday, you've got, you know, Greg Dyke himself, Roy Hodgson, Rio Ferdinand, you know, Gary Lineker, Harry Redknapp, who are all in one way or another praising or, or supporting elements of this report. And then some of the, the, the reaction against, you've got uh, Darren McCantley, the Peterborough chairman, Mark Catlin, Portsmouth chief exec, Gary Sweet of Luton Town, Steve Claridge, uh, you know, supporters direct, all, all people who are at the other end of the, of the football pyramid represent clubs lower down the league who are, you know, condemning the report. So does that, you think, paint the picture of where this is going? It's a good system for those who are at the top end of the game, but those who are down towards the other end of the pyramid are really going to lose out. Well, here we are, David. And and as you know, with the We Are Going Up podcast, you you must have spoken about EPPP Mm. uh, and the effect that that has had and had the perception that it's supposed to be good for youth development. But the reality is that it means that lower league clubs do not, get the fees and the transfer fees they would normally like to command for players that they've helped to develop over a long period of time. It just becomes means tested. It becomes structured uh, and, uh, and and the lower league clubs feel that they've been missing out. And, and the rumour goes that they were railroaded into signing up to EPPP by the Premier League because... Um, otherwise, the Premier League would withhold a solidarity payment due to the lower league clubs. So... Uh, is this another case where uh, the, the FA will try 
and, and enforce this regardless of the thoughts of the lower leagues and, and, and we're going to be stuck with it. I very much doubt it because the, the, the level of criticism that's accompanied the publishing of this report is so widespread and, and, and so vociferous and actually so well put. You know, no one's just um, slagging it off for slagging it off sake, are they? There's an awful lot of extremely salient points being made by plenty of people like the ones you've mentioned within the game who are trying to put up empirical examples of how this plays out and it doesn't play out well for anybody so there you have it that is Ian Danter Talk Sports England correspondent spot on with everything he says there particularly about the EPPP and the railroading by Premier League clubs Mark Warburton the Brentford manager is coming up in just a minute but DC also managed to grab a few words with Jeff Peters earlier on today Jeff is the host of Talk Sports Football League show up the league and he started by telling us how damaging the introduction of this proposed B team system would be in his opinion for the future of the football league well i think it's good that the the discussion is being had about how we move forward with english football and how in the long term we benefit the the england national team but i think most supporters are more concerned about their team and how they get on rather than about the country and Will players benefit from playing in, what, the, the the fifth tier of English football? Are they better off in the the championship? Are they better off in, in League One and League Two? I, I don't see football league clubs buying into this, this idea from Greg Dyke. Yes, it's good that they're talking about it. Yes, we're trying to find ways to, to move forward. But I just can't see it working and in in principle I can see certain benefits to it but it's not something that I think will get the the green light certainly from the Football League and I mean a lot of the focus has I mean quite rightly been on on the potential introduction of this B League but also in the report as well if you look at some of the other details the proposed introduction of um, strategic loan partnerships they call them basically feeder clubs where you would get up to eight players across two different clubs from from the league one and below you know on loan from a premiership club I mean how I mean not many people have talked about that but then you know that is you know, almost a whole team if, mm. if, if you were let's just say a Tranmere fan for example you could have eight players from Liverpool in your first team and your whole existence for, for you know, reason for existence is suddenly to better the cause of Liverpool in the long term rather than to advance Tranmere you know over, over a longer period and that surely is going to take out a lot of the, the hearts of, of what these clubs exist and what they do I think B teams and, and feeder clubs it can work in, in other countries but I think what is unique here is that the the football pyramid that we have is is just it's great that you can see teams go through the divisions and have the, the, the dreams of playing in the championship or playing even in the Premier League. And you, you look at some of the sides who have got up to the top flight, who have got themselves into the championship. You look at, look at the likes of Yeovil, for example, very small club that were non-league 10 years ago and have just just had a, a season in the, in the second tier. And I don't think that, that fans want to see too many of these players coming in. Yes, it's great to have one or two from the big clubs coming in and helping your team, but you want to see your own homegrown players coming through. You want to see the players coming through, for example, the Tranmere Academy or the Luton Academy. You don't want to see too many pouring down from the big clubs. Why Why would Tranmere or Luton care about the second team of Chelsea or the second team of Liverpool or Manchester United? They 
they want to bring through their own players and progress as far as they can. And we've seen a lot of reaction from people involved in football league clubs and, and non-league clubs, you know, chairman, managers, people that are on boards, you know, former players, supporters uh, groups, all coming out in opposition to these plans. I mean, do you think that the football league, when you, you, know, you hark back to the EPPP plan that was introduced a few years ago when the football league, you know, were ultimately defeated and kind of had to fold really in, 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 uh, in opposition to the Premier League because money was supposedly withheld. Do you think that the Football League can do anything about this? Can they actually stop? Will they stand up and, and say, no, we don't want this? Or are they just going to have to you know, pay concession to the Premier League again? I think the Football League quite rightly will kick up a, a, a massive stink about it. And, and I think the clubs will make a hell of a lot of noise about it. And I think that the, the power of a collective number of football league clubs will be will be pretty strong and uh, I don't think they will have this forced upon them yes as I mentioned it, it really it's good to have debate and to open up these channels of dialogue where we can say right how do we move English football forward but the football league are not happy and I think they will continue to not be happy and I can't see them buying into these suggestions whatsoever that was Jeff Peters host of Talk Sports on the league show which you can hear every Saturday morning at 6am by the way and right now it gives me great pleasure to welcome on the phone the manager of a side who are indeed going up the league after clinching promotion from League One in brilliant fashion this season with a club record 94 points Mark Warburton the manager of Brentford joins us now Mark Mark, many congratulations. Many thanks indeed. Thanks very much for coming on the show. First of all, just give us your initial thoughts on this report. In truth, for me, I'm not saying it's a perfect model, far from it, and there's many tweaks to be made to it, but the fact of the matter is, if we're going to improve at the top of the pyramid, i.e. the England team, we have to offer the elite players a different variety of challenge. So as I said, I don't think it's obviously it's not the perfect idea. Of course not. And there's many changes to be made, but I think it's a very good starting point. And and this this anger, this resentment to the plan, I think they have to look at what it's trying to achieve. Do you have concerns, Mark, though, that the way that they're trying to go about tackling what is clearly a problem? I think everyone does want a successful England national team. We do want to produce good English players. But are they maybe going about it the wrong way. I mean, is, is taking players you know, from Premier League academies and pitting them against teams, you know, middling teams from, from the conference really going to aid their development in the way that they want, want it to? That's the key for me is a level of challenge. So I understand right now they talk about League 3, between League 2 and the conference. I don't think that's the right level. So if we, I, all I can do is I can talk back about the boys that we saw in the next gen series. I looked, I looked at, for example, Barcelona B. Now, the Barcelona boys left next gen at 16, 17, 18 years of age, and they then go to the Barca B team, and they play professional, high-quality men's teams week in, week out to prepare them for the chance of the Barcelona first team. Now, the same players who played against them in next gen are then playing under-21 fixes. Now, for me, there's many, many problems with the under-21 league at this moment in time, and that needs to be addressed. So they've got, you've got the English boys, the, the homegrown boys, playing in the under-21s, you have the Spanish, the German, the Portuguese, etc., playing in this high-quality, competitive men's professional league. There's your problem straight away. You've um, you've got a player in your in your squad, Mark, who's just been voted League One Player of the Year, Adam Forshaw, um, yeah. who was Reserve Player of the Year at Everton. 
uh, a couple of yeah. years ago. Uh, he was released, picked up by Brentford. Now, presumably under this proposed system, he would be playing sort of for the Everton B team in whatever league or however it's going to work. Is that a better solution than what we've got at the moment? No, I don't. I just, I'll, please don't think I'm saying this is a perfect model. I, I need to stress it's far from that, but it is a very good catalyst and a starting point for us here. Now, Adam Forshaw wasn't released. He was offered another contract, which he turned down in favour of going to Brentford. Now, if, for example, for a club, um, the Premier League club and, and the taking club, in this case, Brentford, if they do the right sort of deal, if there's the right sort of add-ons involved in the contract, they retain a good interest in the player, they benefit from his development, and every everyone wins. It's a win-win situation for, for Everton, for Brentford, and of course for the player. And that's a scenario. What I think this problem is, is you will see clubs hoarding players, stockpiling players to fulfil fixtures. And we have to make sure that the key for me is some sort of guidelines as to how best to manage each individual player because some will benefit by going out, some will benefit from being kept within their own framework. And that, as I say, there's many, many tweaks to be made to this programme, but this this uproar against it, I think, what are we trying to achieve? You can't keep everyone happy. The fact of the matter is, I think Greg Dyke referred to improving the top of the pyramid and, and the lower leagues in uproar. And Brentford are in League One this, this season. I think we have to look at what we're trying to achieve and everyone cannot be happy with change. As you mentioned there, there has been a lot of uproar from, from fans and, and clubs lower down the pyramid. And they're saying that this commission, and a lot of the attention has been focused on on the B team's proposal, but the whole thing is serves to better the elite players and the elite clubs in the Premier League and the national team by extension. And it doesn't help the interests of the lower league clubs in the conference in League One's in League Two. Is it right to assume that all football league fans, clubs, players, managers should put the needs of the national game of producing better English players for the elite clubs over their own interests? Well, we, we know there's a problem. You started off by saying that everyone agrees there is a problem and it's not happened overnight. It's been a problem that's been in place now for a long while. So we, we know we have this superb problem. I mean, one question for me would be, well, the figure of 32%, is that a good number or a bad number? You're saying you have this this, this fantastic Premier League, the, the, the richest league in the world, you have the best players in the world coming to play in the Premier League. Is one in three a bad number? That would be another side point to mention. But we, we, we've got to look at the overall product here and what's involved and what he's trying to achieve by this type of statement. As, as I say, for me, we can break it down into various compartments, but the fact of the matter is we have to give the elite players an opportunity to maximise their potential. Simple as that. And we have to look at how best we do that. The B-League scenario works in Spain, works in Germany, works in Portugal. I referred to the Barcelona boys earlier on. I watched the Sport Lisbon boys who beat Liverpool 8-1 on aggregate. Now, Liverpool team that contained the likes of Raheem Sterling, John Joe Shelby, Morgan, um, Suso, very other players, Flanagan, etc., who are now Premier League regulars, got beat 8-1 by a Portuguese team that's now playing in the B-League in Portugal. So these boys are coming on, fantastic talent. Our boys are not being afforded the same level of opportunity and the same quality of opportunity. And we have to confront this. It's, as I say, it's a, it's a long-term problem that absolutely needs drastic action. Greg Dyke, when questioned about the B-team structure in particular, as you've just done, constantly referred to the fact that there are B-teams in Spain, in Germany, in other nations across Europe, as, yeah. you know, and, they, and, and, and cited how well you know, the youth and the young players are looking. You, know, you only have to look at Spain and Germany. The players are going to take to the World Cup and see, you know, how well they've got their setup uh, organised in their country. But is it 
perhaps not more down to the number of coaches, the coaching setup, the culture that they've got from right from the very youngest age, right up to first team level, that is more responsible for producing those good players rather than just the B teams? No, I mean, I've been very fortunate to watch a number of top European clubs. I think from six to 18, we're as good as anything out there. And we really are. Technically, tactically, physically, we're as good as anything out there. But then that their players are then challenged at a higher level. And ours get absorbed in this under-21 system. Now, I refer to the, the money of the Premier League. What that does is it allows the Premier League clubs, the top-tier clubs, to bring in these fantastic European talent, worldwide talents, which is great for the supporters and what we thoroughly enjoy. And the product is what it is. But it, it makes it so very difficult for the youngsters to come through and claim their first-team place. So what do we do? We have a great system up to 18, and then they're caught in this this trap of 18 to 22 saying, well, where do we go? While the Spanish boys are playing against top professional league clubs, our boys play under 21 football, or they go out on loan. Well, could, could, some of them, the sorry, could some of them go to Brentford, Mark, under the initial current loan system, and, and you could help them develop there, as you have done with some players? Well, we have done. We've taken the likes of, you know, two and a half, three years ago, we took the likes of Jeffrey Schlupp, uh, who's now at Leicester and now going to Premier League, Liam Moore, who's at Leicester going to Premier League, we took these type of boys, Nathan Byrne, who's been at Bournemouth and Swindon now. And we, we've taken various boys, Forshaw, Bidwell, Harley Dean, all of these types, Totter from Fulham, Savile from Chelsea. We gave them an opportunity and, and every, every party won. The loaning club, us as a club, an individual won. And I think you have to look at it. What I would say is all clubs must take more due diligence in terms of loans, making sure the loan is, is appropriate, making sure it works for parties. Look at the boy, the character, his qualities, and make sure you play him. So we took the boys several from Chelsea. He played 40 times for the season. Chelsea delighted. We're delighted. And so so is George Savile. And I think it really comes down as there's many aspects to this topic. And people are talking about the uproar. Look (laughs) at the individual pieces. You know, the loan system, partner clubs, not feeder clubs, partner clubs. How best to impact the elite players, the B League. These are huge discussion points. And and to try and put out the one generic umbrella, I think, is a major mistake. Um, you mentioned the, the loans there, the uh, strategic loan partnerships which are mentioned in the, yeah. the Commission's findings. Is that something broadly you'd be in support of then? I mentioned earlier, I was on record saying about the, the, the trial partnership, so to speak, between Spurs and Swindon. Now, I, I heard many Division One clubs in uproar, see, can't be allowed, rule this out, etc. were the words I was hearing. But I thought, well, here's, here's four, five, six, seven, eight Tottenham boys being given the opportunity to play at League One level, competitive level, and really help their development. I'm all in favour of that. Then someone said to me, well, it wouldn't be fair on all the clubs. Well, life's not fair, unfortunately. You can't appease everyone. It's about your contact base. It's about developing an environment where the Premier League club is happy to loan them your players or loan you their players. And if you can do that, then everyone again benefits. But it makes us, so Brentford, for example, we have to create the environment that we'll, we'll see the clubs, such as Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, we said to lend us players. And that's a responsibility we have, and it forces us to up our game and that, I think, is good for the game in general. Could you sympathise, Mark, with with the fans of Swindon or Brentford or any football league club who would perhaps be disappointed to see their club having great numbers of lone players from a Premier League club? And they, they may feel like, well, we basically now exist to improve Tottenham's players and to improve Tottenham's chances of success rather than... It may, as a side effect, benefit us in the short term, but it's not... They're not our players. They're not, you know, we're, we're kind of subservient to a Premier League club whereas we, we want to have our own identity and our own success off our own back. I, I hear you. I do think, and I don't know what your, your opinion really is, but if you think about the fact that a club takes a player on a season-long loan 
and they're successful or they have a good season or the fans enjoy watching that player perform. Are they really upset about that? I'm not so sure they are. I think what might cause that sort of problem that you, you mentioned is the fact of short-term loans, i.e. one-month, three-month type loans where the player's in and out and you lose a benefit. But if they're season-long loans, I think, I think the fans take them. If the player works hard, develops, they enjoy seeing an elite player perform, is there really much downside to that? I'm, I'm not so sure, so sure there is. And Mark, finally, I don't, don't want to take too much of, of your time, but no just if, you know, putting your obviously next season you're going to be in the championship as manager of Brentford. But just say, obviously, if you were in the future in League One managing Brentford or another team, and there were B teams in the league, do you would you still feel as a manager there that the league was as competitive? I mean, if you had a, if you know, if you were prevented from going up because teams were above you, or you know, you were say you were facing a B team, and all of a sudden they can bring in a load of players from, you know, it's not like at the moment, if you're facing a, a club in your league, you know who their squad is. They can bring in loans and transfers in the windows within the regulations. But if you if you're facing a B team, say Manchester United B, and they all of a sudden Wilfred Zaha or one of their really good young players needs to come down and get some game time or whatever, or they can suddenly bring in these players. Like they've got an unlimited, almost unlimited bank of players to bring in. So the resources, it, it wouldn't to me seem to be a level playing field in the way that it currently is. And I think the competitiveness of the, of the league may be compromised. Now you raise a fantastic point. And I fully understand where you're coming from. I think we've got to look at this as a much bigger issue and say Greg Dyke and his commission are talking about helping the England team, which is the elite level of the pyramid. For me, we've got... I say I'm going off track a little bit here, but I think <laughs> look at what we're trying to do. We're trying to improve the development of the elite players by offering them a quality and variety of challenge. So my, my, I think the bigger problem is the EPPP and the Category 1 clubs. How many Cat 1 clubs can you possibly have? Do we really have 22, 23 Cat 1 clubs? Is that really what we have? Is Man United really the same as some of the clubs lower down the league or Liverpool or City or Arsenal? I don't think they are. So if we looked at our top eight or ten clubs and said they're Category 1A and they played each other domestically and we then combine that programme with elite European games, let them go and play PSV home and away into Milan Ajax in a competitive tournament, then I think our players have the offering that they need and this B scenario wouldn't be so, so urgently required. So I know I've gone a little bit off track there, but I think my concern is, I mean, knowing the academy system, you have you have little Johnny who joins uh, Premier League Club at eight, who then plays the same players for the next 10 years, two, three times a season. They're good friends. They know each other very well through England setups or whatever it may be. Is that really a challenge at 18, 19? I don't think it is. It is a challenge to go and play Barca B in a mini-stad Sporting Lisbon or Benfica or PSV. And we have to introduce a... Uh, a high-level European challenge allied to a domestic European, a domestic competition. If we do that, I think we resolve the issue. All very, very interesting stuff. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. I take it you're already sort of preparing for next season and getting plans in place? We are indeed, yeah. The, the players have gone away for a few days, well-deserved, but um, we're working hard, Frank McParlin and David Weir and myself, and uh, look at the players next season and much to do. Good stuff. Uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again next season. Mark, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate Mark, it. Thank you very and much. That is uh, Mark Warburton, who is the manager of Brentford. And in just a sec, we're going to be speaking to another man celebrating promotion. So on the line right now then is Gary Sweet, Chief Executive at Luton Town, who are back in the Football League after clinching uh, the title in the conference a few weeks ago. Congratulations, first of all, Gary. 
Thank you very much, chaps. Thanks Thank very you. much for coming on the show. Um, and uh, well, which we should declare straight away. DC being a Watford fan, <laughs> we'll get that out of the way. Um, we'll start with uh, with this, Gary. You, I believe, you sit on the conference board. Yes, I do. Or, or actually, I did. Oh, you did. Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I had my last board meeting yesterday. Okay. Um, which um, I, I've sort of been on the board for about five years since Luton come into the conference, and, um, and clearly, obviously, as we, we now become a, a football league club. Um, yes. I, I have to leave that, which is a big shame. It's been a, been a magnificent experience for me. So is it, is it true that the conference clubs and the board weren't contacted uh, by the commission? We don't know of anybody um, in the conference league that that's the three leagues, uh, north and south as well, that has been contacted and, uh, and consulted in, in this process, which I think is actually the most disappointing you know, aspect to it because you know, through if you're going to do something... Um, you're a huge authority like the FA that's got a huge amount of responsibility towards English football that supposedly governs the game in this country uh, and sits above the leagues, supposedly. Um, then, you, you know, what you've got to do is go through the proper processes, you know, of consultation um, with the various members, you know, and, and it's not just the conference clubs and, and the league and... and, and um, and, and even players that, that I was a bit disappointed about, but, but supporters either. You know, the, there were a couple of quotes, for example, Danny Mills was quoting, or actually Danny Mills stated that he had, or they had consulted with um, the conference. We can categorically tell him that that is not the case. So I'm not sure who he thinks he's spoken to. Um, you know, I heard that, and he, I think he, it, it's the, the guy on the, on the commission who is from the Gloucestershire FA. Uh, he, yeah, who was holding yeah. up a, him as an example of being representative of of the conference, but you know, that's you know, that's not really the case at all. Well, that's interesting because they're they're below the conference actually, and um, and he's he's, he's um, aligned to a, a county um, yeah. uh, a, a FA region, uh, and it probably just exposes the ignorance um, within the commission, and certainly. Danny, you know, I've not really met Danny before, but it clearly shows an ignorance to um, to way the football structured at this level. So. Let's just say, I mean, obviously, from your reaction and from many fans and other clubs, we've seen hordes of statements released from clubs like, you know, former non-league club AFC Wimbledon. I was reading FC United's sort of response to this, to this earlier on. I've seen one from Sutton United, you know, all in condemnation of these of these plans. Um, if the conference teams as a whole were to come together and non-league as a whole and say we reject these plans and we, you know. Could, could that bring the report down? I mean, can, can these plans go ahead without the participation of the conference? Well, a number of things could happen. Anything could happen. I mean, I, th- I think first of all, the, the, the power of the voice that, that our little, those little clubs like ourselves all have got together. You know, and I say that tongue in cheek because, you know, we, we you know, uh, Luton Town isn't really a little club, is it? You know, no. we've, we we were one of the founder members of the Premier League. So, you know, we've been there and, and the likelihood is if we get things right, we could be there again, not necessarily the Premier League, but certainly fighting to, to, to get in it one of these days. So, you know, we're not necessarily small clubs, but if you look at, at within the Premier League now, there's been a number of clubs in the Premier League that have, been, that have come from this level. Um, so when clubs from... All leagues. I mean, I've seen I've seen statements come out from all levels of, of football, including Premier League, Championship One, Two, Conference, North, South, and below, start to st- say the same 
things about the report, which is there was a lack of consultation, which is that they don't want the pyramid to be destroyed just for the sake of, of you know, an extra gold star on an England shirt, perhaps, you know, or, or some of their younger players getting a little bit more adult contact time. It, it, it's just blatantly wrong. And I, th- I think there are a number of things that can happen. First of all, the power of our, our, our unity, I, th- I think, will force the FA to sit up and listen. And, and I think it, it, will, it will show that the panel, um, the, the commission, is wrong, actually, in its findings. Um, and they didn't do the findings in the right way. Um, I, I think the second thing is that, that actually the one thing that Greg Dyke has done superbly well is actually brought football together, which I know was his <laughs> intention, but maybe not in this way. Um, I mean, I'm quite proud of being a member of, of you know, the football community. We talk about often the football family, but the FA being a part of it. Now what we've got is a football family with the FA being almost ostracised purely by the fact that, that they've they've gone about this this in such a crass way well th- that's the thing that disappoints me most I mean we said it right uh, earlier on when we started the show it's the fact that the FA I mean if this had come from the Premier League it was, still would have been outrageous but you'd think oh just the Premier League again but the fact it's come from the FA who were meant to protect and support every club in the system not just your team top of the league Manchester City but right down to you know the grassroots that's what makes it more disappointing for me the other thing is, is the timing of it you know the timing of it, which is you know just as the Premier League season is just about to to to, to finish, a lot of excitement around that with the FA Cup, the World Cup uh, uh, team to be named um, on Monday. Funnily enough, I think it's going to be going to be done in Luton. There's the World Cup coming up, of course. You know, so all of these issues, and clearly, I mean, you know, not many people have got great hopes about including the World Cup in Brazil um, with that human. So, you know, are they getting in excuses early? And all these things are coming coming to pass. So, it, time, the timing is awful. It'd be hilarious if we went and won the thing now, wouldn't after it? After the World Cup, <laughs> you know, leave it until after the World Cup. Yeah. Then, you know, and, and let, let's just enjoy the summer, leave it until that. And, Actually, during that period, maybe they could put in an extra four hour, you know, four months' work and, and actually get some um, proper research done. I quite agree with you there, actually, Gary, because it, it struck me as odd timing. Because at the top of the report, which by which we've mentioned already, and I'm sure you'll agree, there are some good things in in and amongst the report. It's not all bad, but the the, the four sort of key problems that they've identified, they've only really addressed two of them in this report. That being the lack of opportunity for players to play at elite level. You know, the, the, there's too many, basically too many foreigners and non-EU players in, in the top levels of the English game. Uh, the other two, which I think are probably more important to the long-term success of English football, the grassroots coaching and grassroots facilities, they've not done anything on them. They've said in the report, well, we recognise there's a lot of work to be done and we'll do it at a later date. Why didn't they do it all at once? I mean, did they have to rush out the first half now and... This is the thing. I don't. I, don't, I mean, it, 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 I think it is good. There are some good things in the report, but you know what? If 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 you or I went to a you know a, a, a posh dinner party, um, wearing just a pair of shoes and a bow tie, but nothing else, nobody would notice whether the bow tie is really nice or not, would they? <laughs> you know, their their attention would be drawn somewhere else. And my point, you know, my point here is that. Yes, there are some good things in the report, but just because it is a package of of, um, of solutions, you have to take it as a whole, and therefore, you have to look at the lowest common denominator, the the, the most controversial element of this, and 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 because it is so controversial, it is is that the 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 League Three 
um, uh, competition that they want to introduce. And so nobody can see past that right now. Nobody can look at the loan system and, you know, the, 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 the coaching suggestions that they're saying. And I actually, I've, I've read those and I don't think they're great either, by the way. So, you know, I think there are a number of other things that they can they can do to polish that up. But because it's a bundle of things, you can't really take any one of them too seriously. And Gary, the, another, you know, sour taste is left in my mouth by, by this report in the fact that on page 71 of the report, we read it out at the top of the show, but I'll read it to you again now to get your, your reaction because it's very pertinent in regards to Luton. So page 71 of the report, in the last six years, 12 football league clubs have gone into administration and others have found themselves in serious financial distress. Obviously, Luton, uh, one of the highest profile cases of, of that scenario. We propose that in return for agreeing to this reorganisation, there should be a significant financial settlement from the Premier League to the clubs in the lower divisions of the Football League. So they're explicitly stating, you know, buried in the report, that to get our way, we'll give you some money. Well, I, I heard a quote from um, um, from Greg Dyke saying that, that there, there are, that I think he even said that most clubs at this level are bankrupt. It's outrageous, um, wasn't it? Now, yeah, I mean, it, it was incredible. Now, um, a part of my job on the conference board um, initially, certainly um, up until a couple of years ago, was to be a part of a committee which actually explored the the, um, the financial structure of of our football clubs within the 60, uh, 68 football clubs within the conference, um, Premier North and South. And we became, I think, the first set of leagues that became totally, um, uh, I say not totally clear, but... Um, with the best track record with HMRC over that period of time. The conference clubs have cleaned up their act significantly. There's, there's very, very little debt, um, hardly any outstanding debt to, to, the, uh, to, to the, uh, the Treasury now. Um, and the football clubs, despite the fact that, that many of them do rely on benevolent funding you know, um, to bridge the gap of losses at the end of the season, as does Luton, you know, um, they're actually stable football clubs, however, you know, football as a dynamic model, you know, it doesn't work, you know, financially football clubs always will lose a loss, uh, they'll always make a loss. There are extraordinary circumstances, Arsenal is an extraordinary football club, um, it, it's run terrifically well, it's got huge amounts of, of, of property, um, it runs profitably. They're a lucky and a, and a unique situation. Most other football clubs, almost bar none, lose money in some way, shape or form. And in the conference premier, those clubs are no, not really any different, actually, to any in the championship or, 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 or League One. They're not poorer. They're not bankrupt. They're actually far more stable. So, you know, I think we've done a, a really good job, actually, in the conference to, to, to clean all of that up. So I think it was very um, condescending, actually, of, of, of Mr. Dyke to, to say those words. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think another point that's condescending is this report and this commission, it, it assumes and it infers that it's the, the, the conference's responsibility or, or the clubs below the championship responsibility to provide players for the English national team as, as, a, as opposed to looking yeah. after themselves yeah. first. I, I just want to say one other thing on, on, on funding, on, on sorry, the financing of, of, of football clubs at our level, by the way. Um, let me just give because I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of this work right now. The difference in just central funding and solidarity payments between the Conference Premier and League Two is roughly £600,000. OK, £600,000 per club. Now, that is a massive gulf, a massive gulf. And then there are questions asked as to why conference clubs, 
you know, maybe a little bit frail where they're not. And ultimately, they're trying, what they're trying to do is to increase the, 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 the level of talent that comes from this level and give game time to some of the youngsters at this level. Well, that could happen anyway, and that does happen anyway. And you know what? It would ha- happen an awful lot more if there was a greater stream of funding coming down to this level. Ultimately, talent goes where, fu- where funding goes. So the Premier League has broadly 80-85% of football funds available. That means that Premier League clubs are stockpiling youngsters, which they are, and that ultimately means that those youngsters are that are number they've got number seventy or eighty-five on the back of their shirt and never going to get a chance with the first team because of that stockpiling because they've got too much money to spend on players. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So why not redistribute some of that money back down to the lower leagues so actually the pyramid works in the way that it should? Can I ask you as well about? The, the situation with, with coaching. What is it, 27,000, is it, coaches in Spain? Roughly, yeah. And 3,000 in England. Do you there, th- there are some discrepancies between the various right, figures, okay. but it, it, what we can't uh, certainly, <laughs> you know, what is definitely the case is there are a hell of a lot more coaches, qualified coaches at senior level and, in Spain and the reason, in France. And the really reason I mention that is obviously because a lot of the, uh, a lot of Greg Dyke, what, he, what he's been saying is sort of mentioning Germany and Spain, Germany and Spain, Germany and Spain. When in reality, the B-team system might not be the reason in these countries that it's working. It's because of the amount of coaches they've got. You know, I, I think this is the other reason why they should have waited until, until after the World Cup. Because if Brazil wins the World Cup, then we'll be looking at what Brazil does. Um, if Belgium win the World Cup, then we'll look, be looking at what Belgium has done in the last four years. We're, we're, we're just a, a copycat competition um, right now and and you, you're right about the coaches but actually the point here is that, that let's have a fresh start here, let's have a fresh think about how we structure football in the UK and let's not, let's, I mean Germany I think is over 30,000 coaches over 34,000 coaches something in Germany um, it's very easy to say okay well we're, we're, we're our populations aren't too, too dissimilar. Let's try and get 30,000 coaches in, in the UK. That in itself would be wrong because all we're doing is actually just trying to match another country who don't have the same pyramid structure as us. They don't actually have the same football heritage as us. Their football clubs don't necessarily represent the communities in the way our football clubs do. So we have to start from you know, a UK perspective or an English football perspective and build from there. And we've, we've got such proud and unique heritage of, of a pyramid within this country that should not be disregarded. It, it shouldn't be dismantled. It needs to be protected by the FA and those authorities. And if we just start from that basis, then I think we can build on that ourselves. We can come come up with creative ideas about how we restructure football in this country without having to to uh, resort to copycat tactics on other countries. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I think for me that is the real key issue here. We we start we are starting to hear now from you know various figures within the game who are coming out in support of of these proposals. Brendan Rodgers it would be one today. Roberto Martinez, Steve Bruce, to name but three Premier League managers who are saying. Um, you know that they think this is a good idea. Mark Warburton, who we've spoke to earlier on, broadly speaking, supports most of the of the of the principles behind the proposals. Um, although, although I would say with with those, actually, I think those Premier League managers came out and said that 
a little while before Richard Scudamore has actually well, yeah. gone against the, um, the the restructuring of the. Well, I was, I was going to mention that, yeah, because I mean that that is very interesting indeed. Because Scudamore is a man who's certainly not been adverse to suggesting outlandish ideas in in the in in the past. That's and if exactly he's saying no, then it gives hope to people like yourselves that maybe this you know will be kind of thrown into the long grass and we can try and do something else that will be more beneficial. Well, he is the man with the checkbook, um, ultimately, you know, and I'm, I'm hardly surprised Mr. Warburton, who, who's former, you know, club chairman, is now the, the leader of this commission, um, is, is in favour of it. You know, I would hardly expect anything else from, um, from Brentford, to be perfectly honest. I know there'll be Brentford supporters listening to this. And I'm sure, I mean, I actually got some friends who are Brentford supporters, and I spoke to one of them today. He is totally against the, these proposals because Brentford, only a year ago, were, were considered to be a non-league club. Now, it, 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 all of a sudden, Brentford, have, and it's wonderful, Brentford are doing very well. They've got promoted into the, into the championship. Fantastic. And, you know, they've got planning permission approved on um, on their Lionel Road um, site. So all that, that's terrific for Brentford. But as a supporter, just in the same way that, that, that I, I, as Luton Town Football Club, we're not a conference football club anymore. We're now Football League 2. We could quite easily say, listen, let's not worry about League 3 because that's past us, behind us. You know, we're above that. We want to do the right thing for, the, for English football here. You know, and, I th- and the Brentford supporters I've spoken to also want to do th- the right thing for, for, um, for English football. And one of them even said to me that he feels a little bit ashamed that he's had a chance with Greg Tyke, who's now gone on to to uh, mm. uh, to, to propose these these these, um, these this new format. Yeah, that really disappointed me as well. Uh, Gary, thanks very much for coming on. We know you've been a busy man, so we don't want to take up any any more of your time. First of all, uh, oh, sorry, finally, uh, best of luck for, for next season. I imagine the preparation's well underway already. Yeah, and that's busy enough as well. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to it actually, and we've got. It's great that we've got some local games, you know, in in, in the area as well now. So, so we're really looking forward to it. And you know, th- thanks for your wishes, and yeah, I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank Those you. fixtures will be out before you know it. <laughs> So that was Gary Sweet then, Chief Executive of Luton Town. And joining us for the remainder of uh, this week's show, uh, live from a beer garden somewhere, I believe, uh, is uh, Rob Langham, who is the uh, co-founder of the non-partisan uh, website, The Two Unfortunates, which has an eye on the Football League. We talk about it, mention it on the show a lot. Rob, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Rob, first of all, let's get your take on it before we... I mean, we haven't really got any structure to this. We're just going to muddle our way through, I think, the next sort of 15 minutes to have a quick chat about it. Um, first of all, your original opinion on the um, on the Commission's findings when you saw it on Thursday. Well, I think it's uh, preposterous, really. And like a lot of bloggers and... Uh, football league and non-league followers of my acquaintance it's uh, an outrage really and something that you have to fight against really vigorously so trying to move beyond that a little bit the initial first feeling I think one of the things that struck me today was that I think Richard Scudamore has come out and said that he's not 100% convinced or quasi against it so um, I think really the Premier League, I think, you know, the fact that they haven't bought into it, I think is quite significant. And actually, as time moves on, I'm slightly less worried than I was because I think I think the Premier League does hold the balance of power in English football. And I think if they're against something, I don't think what the Football Association says is going to get passed. Um, because I think in the end, I think the Premier League, they want their B team players to be playing against championship level players, not conference level players. And I think they know that this isn't going to improve anything from their point of view. So that, I think, is 
sort of for the moment reassuring but I think later on um, it could be that there'll be similar proposals on the table that might be harder to withstand yeah I can I can quite agree I think I think you're right I mean and I was actually quite surprised to see Richard Scudamore come out against these proposals initially because Greg Dyke made quite a big he really went for it put himself out on a limb uh, say what you want about him he's certainly gone for it here hasn't he and, and he, he said that we've got the backing of all the clubs we've spoke to all the clubs all the clubs want this all the clubs meaning all the Premier League clubs I'm assuming the top five uh, yeah and you know you, if you had you know, the Liverpool manager the Everton manager uh, the Hull City manager you know, Steve Bruce Brendan Rodgers Roberto Martinez they've all come out today in favour of it you've had various figures you know, Roy Hodgson is backing these plans Rio Ferdinand is backing these plans the veritable uh, fountain of footballing knowledge and, and reputation Danny Mills is, is backing these, these plans and so the elite end of the game with the exception, it seems now, of Richard Scudamore, he's certainly saying that these proposals are a good idea and it looks like they, they want to get this done because they think it will be good for them. But obviously there's a huge divide down the other end. We've seen club after club in a non-league level and, and League Two and other fan supporters groups say come out you know in condemnation of these of these proposals so there is a divide at the moment it's you know maybe Scudamore is kind of the person that could sort of tip it either way well he certainly has a lot of say and I think as I said I think they hold the balance of power really but I mean in terms of the proposals I think the, the ridiculous thing is if this is going to improve an England team if that's the aim that just seems such a an arcane goal given that you know the England team have I think the last three out of the last four or five tournaments they've only lost on penalties and although one wouldn't dispute that the Italy and Portugal teams that have defeated England have probably been better technically and have better players in the end you know when it's on such a knife edge and success and failure is measured by kind of luck to an extent how is like a sweeping change like this going to kind of improve something and it and is a great England team that what we really want. I mean, I had Matt Rowson from the Watford blog Be Happy earlier on on in response to a post from Michael Maruzzi on his site Register blog saying he'd rather that Watford uh, won a, a throw-in in the first minute of the first <laughs> game of next season than England win the World Cup. So yeah, no, I, I saw that. that. I saw that, quite an extreme view, but... You know, I think really in the end, most of us, particularly football league fans, it is about the club, isn't it? I don't yeah. know about you guys. Well, we talked about this already. We were we were saying uh, at the start of the show that we're not necessarily. I, I am. I'm not one of these people who hates England. I want England to do well. I'm not a kind of club over country man. I think I want both. If you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think which, you, which I makes think it can, such a you can have both difficult and I, issue. And I think you, this is this to me is the absolute crux of the whole issue. Greg Dyke and the FA Commission. Obviously, they want a successful national team. They're assuming that the most most of the public do, and you know, a lot of the public certainly do. But this isn't the way to go about it. To to tear up the football pyramid, something that is the envy of the footballing world. If there's one thing in this country that we can justifiably say, you know, with our heads held high, that we do better than anywhere else in the world, it's our you know the strength in depth of our football. You know, right down from non-league, it's unparalleled elsewhere, and and. This this will potentially uh, jeopardise the future success uh, of, of that structure and it kind of makes a mockery of 125 years plus of, of history. Well, well, let me give you those. I think this is from last season, the figures that in terms of European leagues with the most uh, people sort of in the grounds to watch. the foot England, the Premier League first and Germany, Spain and then the Championship fourth, League One tenth and League Two fifteenth. 
which is incredible. But I, I guess when you, you look at those figures, and it's easy for us. Look, we're all football league fans. We're yeah. all we're all you know in the business of promoting the football league, and, and we support it obviously. So we're obviously going to come out and defend it. But you know, it, it's when when you have people like Mark Warburton earlier on, you know, manager who is managing currently in the football league, who just got out of League One, saying that he thinks that this is a you know broadly speaking good idea. When you've got somebody like Brendan Rodgers who has spent time managing three different football league clubs, working with you know a, a man who's dedicated most of his professional life to the development of young players. Roberto Martinez came through Absolutely. the ranks, Swansea. They're, they're all yeah. in support of this. And it does make me wonder, well, have I got it wrong? Would it, could it be a good idea? I mean, is there any possible chance that we are overreacting and that if this League 3 system was introduced, everything would be fine in the end and we'd all get along and get used to it? No, I'm not having it. I'm still not having it. I think the promotion issue is, is interesting as well because Greg Dyke's argument on the, I think it was put to him by, was it Adrian Jerome? I can't remember who put it to him, that you know a couple of years into this, you could end up with a situation where, say in the first season, uh, the uh, top five teams in the country, their B teams, uh, win the League Three, or they're the top five. And you know, over the, next, the first few, few years, two or three clubs from uh, B team clubs get promoted every season. So eventually you end up with a load of them in League One. And then, so the top eight or nine in League One are B teams but they can't get promoted because that's the furthest they can go in the chain so a team that finishes 10th in the table probably wins I don't know how many games in a season would a team that finishes 10th win I don't know 18 maybe I'm guessing <laughs> will get promoted where's the momentum in only winning 18 out of 46 games and getting promoted yes absolutely it's like Scunthorpe this season <laughs> <laughs> well I suppose yeah <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you get, no, what, you get what I'm right. saying yeah I mean is it um, I mean I haven't actually looked at exactly how it's going to be mapped out so is League 1 it's been decided that there can be promotion to these B teams through to League 2 and League 1 yes so they can't go any further they can't go any further they can only be a division below their their, their sort of main clubs so say uh, I don't know if, if Hull got relegated from the Premier League um, down to the championship Hull B couldn't be in League 1 they'd have to be in League 2 but just think right. of the complications in terms of promotions and where teams finish each, each season It's just it would just be a mess wouldn't it well the, the, the roster of teams in any given Premier League season is, is different so say if you know Burnley's B team just because they happen to be in the Premier League that season were able to compete in this new league and then you know would they be able to continue playing in that new league if the the first team were relegated. I, I, it just sounds such a complete kind of mess and well, sort of offends my sense of order. Really. Let me let me let me read this. I did I did like this from Dave Fairbrother, the chairman of the board um, of directors. I think at Sutton United, I believe. Um, he says football is all about dreaming. It's about cold, wet nights in the middle of Essex or the prospect of a six-hour journey home after being thrashed somewhere in Yorkshire. It's about the days when those memories become all the more special because your team has just won the league, or dare I say it, knocked out a top-flight club out of the FA Cup. Um, the game is about glory. Uh, Mr Dyke your proposal gnaws away that glory it makes it all the harder for smaller clubs to have those special unforgettable days Sutton United have just missed out on promotion to the football conference but we'll go again next season and the season after that until one day we get there and when we do get there we want to take our chances against all the other clubs who share the same dreams not Everton B I beg you Mr Dyke kill this ill-conceived plan now or be remembered as the man who killed the dreams Here, here. I mean and I, I, you know it is very difficult to, to disagree with that isn't it because I read an excellent piece, actually. Andy Brassel retweeted um, a piece earlier on from a player who had spent time playing for a Danish B team. 
uh, out in Denmark. And he made some good points. Obviously, you know, Denmark aren't the, the gold standard of international football. So, you know, Greg Dyke would probably point to that. But I think the principle still, still carries here that if you're a B-team player and you're playing in League One and you know you can't get promoted, and, you, you know, what, what is the motivation for you? The motivation is to do well so you can go back and play for the first team of your of your club it's of your you know your parent club it's it's not to to form a, a united team bond because there'll be players coming in and out of this team every week it's not going to be like I, I doubt very much you'd have to identify the 25 man squad at the start of the season and only keep those players you know you're going to have a pool of players from a whole club that's going to come in and out of this team it's it's not going to be like just simply dropping an inferior version of manchester united into the conference and letting them get on with it and rise through the leagues it's, it's just not going to be like that and it would demoralise potentially the players playing for the B team you could you could arguably still have the same problem that you have now with the under 21 league and that the games aren't truly competitive they wouldn't necessarily be taken seriously by fans or the players playing in them which would still not solve the problem the whole danger of this plan is that it doesn't necessarily, despite all the very you know well sought out evidence that the commission have got, they've done some really good work here. But it doesn't. There's no guarantees. Uh, Greg Dyke's own admission that this will be a success. Nowhere even close to being a guarantee. Exactly. If you're going to rip up the entire structure of the football league, I think we need a bit more assurance that this is actually going to have an impact. Rob. Yeah. I mean, I just, one other thing I wanted to ask you guys is about the this uh, other point in the plan about the idea of a strategic mm. partner for a Premier League team where they can loan up to about eight players to a team who they kind of get in league with. I mean, one of my friends has said to me that he thinks that the B team league thing won't won't happen, but um, it's kind of maybe clouding the issue. And this is actually quite a serious thing that's like kind of ushering in the idea of like official nursery clubs. Do you think that's a a serious concern as well. I, I do, and and you know this may sound rich coming from a Watford fan, but um, <laughs> you know it, the, the situation that we had when la- last start of last season, when everyone was saying, "Yo, oh, you're just a, a feeder club, rude and easy." Now the difference between that situation and this situation is that we would be those players that came to us as Udinese, they came to us as as Watford players, you know, to stay at Watford to help Watford grow, and they weren't in the short term at least sent to us with the with the immediate plan of getting them back to their parent club and helping the parent club whereas that in, in this situation let's just say you're you know look at Swindon Town and Tottenham there's already a some sort of you know semi-formal link there between the two and that, that's the example that people in defence of this plan keep using if you're a Swindon Town fan great you might have a great season and get promoted into the championship with with six Spurs players in your team. And it might be great football and you might enjoy those matches at the time. You might even be able to get on board with the idea. But ultimately... If you sit there and think about it, they're not your players. You are you're you're just submitting yourself to the mercy of Tottenham. You're saying that Swindon Town now exists primarily to aid the development of Tottenham Hotspur. And when you're uh, when you're a supporter of a, a small club. Uh, like I am there's nothing better than seeing a player come up through the ranks and go up the chain that way rather than the other, other way bringing in you know players from big clubs they don't you know don't, are not really a, a Berry player or a, a Torquay player or a Dagenham player or whatever and, and this is the danger I think with the EPPP plan now a couple of years old it's sort of dropped off the radar a little bit and well, I suppose we're all kind of waiting to see whether it does have any effect long term but with that and this twin together you're now seeing a kind of 
two-pronged attack because not only did the EPPP plan made it, in theory, more difficult for clubs lower down the pyramid to retain their best young players and have them progress through their own first team as they, as they have done successfully in the past. And now this makes it even more likely that they won't be able to get them back in on loan, which is what the defenders <laughs> of the EPP plan used to point to because they're going to be playing for B teams. So you're not going to be able to get the young players in in the start and you're not going to be able to get them through the other end either. Yeah, I'm glad, DC, that you mentioned the Swindon thing because we ran a post a few few weeks ago by Alex Cook, um, who I think blogs for you a little bit, on uh, the swindon Tottenham link. And I think after an initial burst of good form in the autumn, some of the Tottenham players have actually sort of been on the wane a little bit. And so Swindon started to leave them out. And then there was sort of tacit pressure from Tottenham, you know, complaining that these players weren't being fielded in the team. And I remember a few years ago, I think Gerard Hingier was complaining about players at Liverpool alone to football league teams not appearing in the first team and and it's just you know I think there is a slippery slope you know I think you have to and I think the, the Watford thing just in defence of your position I think it's a little bit different when it's in a different country I think uh, I, I think um, Udinese and Granada links you know there are still debates to be had surrounding those but I think it's a different country whereas I think if it's in the same country I think you know a team you know your identity would be completely lost um, I think so. Yes, it is, it's very hard to stay calm about this, really. I must admit. No. Before we finish, then, before we wrap it up, Rob, I mean, as someone who, you know, has a great knowledge of of you know all the various issues with the football league, for the, you know, for the excellent post that you have on the two unfortunates, do do you think that the implementation, if it was to be implemented in the way Greg Dyke wants it to, do you think that it is genuinely fair for us to say that the traditions and the and the you know the sovereignty and the and the respect that the football league holds amongst you know all of its fans are are they at risk of of being you know having the heart ripped out of it or are we just making a fuss about nothing oh no i think absolutely i think it would be i, I can't imagine anything more depressing than going to an away game at chelsea in front of about ten thousand fans that's Bradford another Bridge. point would you even go Bradford would anyone go yeah I, I just it's just totally unappealing i i really can't see the appeal at all um so I think there would still be a silent majority who would probably accept things and still go and that kind of thing. And that, that's, the, that's the shame of it, really. I think the kind of campaigning focus of football fans that bodies like the Football Supporters Association and Supporters Direct do such a good job of fostering is you know, limited to a minority, sadly. But I think this would be one where it, there would be strong protest across the board. There would be reduced attendances. And that would make people think twice the people who are instigating this because of course in the end it probably is about money so I, I, I think uh, yes it, it would be a real danger certainly to my commitment as a fan and I think a lot of people I know as well on the positive side we have lots of people at Man United and Chelsea to be ringing won't we if they all the beat teams come in the Football League um, if you do want to sign this petition um, the URL is way too long and complicated for me to get out but if you do a search of Twitter on the hashtag say no to League 3 you'll find the, uh, the link there if you want to go and sign it which uh, I have done and I'm sure you chaps have as well uh, Rob thanks very much Sounds very Thank nice you. out in that beer, uh, that beer garden. Uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, cheers. Good to speak to you guys. Right, so you've heard all that then. We've heard from uh, Ian, we've heard from Jeff, we've heard from Mark, we've heard from Gary and we've heard from Rob. Have your views changed over the last hour or so? Well, they, they sort of have a few times and maybe that you know, and then they've sort of come <laughs> back round again a couple of times. It's Look, it's, it's a very complicated issue and it's a huge task it's a massive challenge that the FA are trying to undertake here and they do deserve some credit for attempting 
to get it done because for years and years and years the FA have launched from one disaster to another I mean many people would say this is just the latest one <laughs> in a long line of them but look they're trying to do something here and and, and it, uh, it seems to me that they've gone about it the wrong way and it's a bit cat-handed and Greg Dyke isn't exactly uh, in my opinion hasn't shown himself to be the most impressive person throughout this it's whole, a shame whole though, episode I kind of uh Expected better of him. Yeah. Because he came across very well when he was at the BBC and when you heard him originally sort of last year. But absolutely, I just yeah. think this has been completely mishandled. Yeah, and it's a, it's a massive, I think, own goal for them, to be honest with you. The reaction shows you that. But what I keep coming back to is this notion of English football. You know, the FA are trying to improve English football. They say that they... And, and you know, I heard Howard Wilkinson say, you know, if you want a good England team... You know, then you've got to get behind it, and you know, surely everybody wants a good England team, and, and a good England team is good for the is for the rest of English football. And actually, I'm not sure if it always is. I don't know if the relationship between the national team and the conference. I don't know if there is one, really, to be honest with you. And I don't know whether there is a responsibility on the lower levels of English football to sacrifice their own traditions, which I believe they would be. I, I think if you do have, you know, despite what Mark Warburton said, despite what Brendan Rodgers says about these players needing to get the the most contact time with with you know competitive footballers they can and to toughen themselves up and to test themselves and to get them out of these academies where they do nothing of course that's a problem you don't want players sitting around you know wasting away potentially wasting their careers you know and not fulfilling their potential i don't think anybody wants to see that but i genuinely don't think that there's that much wrong with the current system and then they say that the statistics will prove otherwise but if you just look how many exciting young English players are going to the World Cup and and moreover look how many of them have played in the Football League absolutely you know I don't think there are huge problems and I think a radical change such as this is a step too far I think there'll be little tweaks that could be made to improve English football and I think the grassroots plan which is coming out later in the year that's the really key one if you get the stuff right down right down at the bottom then it will filter up from the top what they're trying to do now is go in halfway sort out the mess in the middle mm. and hope that that sorts out the top the Premier League can't expect the football league clubs and the lower league clubs and the non-league clubs to take the, the, the burden for this. They can't expect them to, to sacrifice their own prospects of short-term or long-term success to make the elite clubs you know, in a more healthy position. Sort out the top first, from the top down, not the bottom up. I started running, you finished running. Um, that list of uh, England players that have played in the lower leagues is brilliant, by the way. It's well worth having a look. Adam Lallana, forget, was tearing it up in League One a couple of years ago. Yeah. Look at him now, he's going to be on the plane to Brazil, probably in the starting team. Uh, we're very interested to hear your opinions, uh, as we just mentioned with Rob, so please do get in touch. At Waggy Podcast on Twitter. Uh, you can also go to the website, wearegoingup.co.uk, and the SoundCloud page is soundcloud.com slash Podcast. We'll be back talking all things playoffs in a more regular show uh, on Wednesday. So we'll speak to you then. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>